This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. And boy, do we have auto information for you today. Ford has just announced details of the Tremor package for its popular Maverick pickup truck. We'll have details on that coming up. BMW has just introduced an addition to its EV lineup, and we'll have details on that too. It costs about 50K, I think. And you remember Dieselgate, don't you? You remember that, don't you, Chris? Uh, the scandal revolving around Volkswagen's falsification of emissions tests? I bought one. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, it turns out Volkswagen wasn't the only company that was cheating. And we'll have more details and reveal that coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Put that hyphen in there. Otherwise, who knows where you'll end up. Hi, I'm Jack Nierad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. And each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry. And Chris, August is upon us. I mean, here it is August. I mean, where did the summer go, right? And uh, I'm, I'm wondering, are your kids ready to go back to school? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm from Tennessee, and I've been watching all my friends sending their kids back to school this week. Uh, however, my kids don't start until the beginning of September. Uh, good news is, though, summer events are still going on, so I'm gearing up to go to the New England Motor Press Association's uh, Ragtop Ramble on Thursday, and uh, we'll have awards dinners tomorrow. So be driving around southern New England in some convertibles very soon. Can't wait. Wow, Ragtop Ramble. That sounds so old school. So It is old very much. timey. Uh, but good for you. Uh, I always get a little sad when August comes around. I love summer, and it strikes me that when August rolls around, we're almost at the end of summer, which I'm missing an entire month of summer if I feel that way, or a little more than that. So I should, I should get over it. Uh, what is the vehicle you're going to be talking about this week? I am just closing out my week with the 2022 Ford F-150 Raptor, Jack. It's a very intense pickup truck. I can't wait to tell you about it. And I have an even more intense Ford F-150 pickup truck, the Ford Lightning. So this is all F-150 all the time this week on America on the Road. And it's kind of our debut on video, too. So uh, I'm excited about that. We have a terrific interview for you as well. Our special guest is Kaylee Hill. She's manager of the EV ecosystem at General Motors. How's that for a title? And uh, she's going to be telling us about EV Live. So we'll talk to, with her about that. Uh, I think you'll find her charming. Before we do anything else, though, uh, we'll bring you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jackney Red back with you. And it is news time. And while we have some interesting news, I think we try to have interesting news each week. We don't we don't present the dull news so much. We weed that out for you and then present interesting news. One of the things most interesting to me is this new Maverick Tremor off-road package that's uh, newly come available on the on the small Maverick pickup truck. That's an interesting platform anyway. And I, I, I'm so for some reason I'm not seeing as many of them as I thought I would. Uh, but maybe it's just because they're not building a ton of them. But this is a pretty cool package, isn't it, Chris? 
Yeah, you know, I think they've listened to their customers, or at least they know their customers, a little bit beefier uh, stance, a little bit of a lift kit, some nice all-terrain tires, and you've got a hot seller, even more than the regular Mag- Maverick, I would assume. Right. This thing will uh, it, it will be available on the XLT and Lariat series trucks, the Mavericks, uh, a one-inch lift kit for added ground clearance, you know, one-inch. <laughs> That's, that's added ground clearance. It could be the difference, right? We're not talking about hand grenades here. We're talking about being on the trail. It does have trail control, essentially cruise control for the trail, which is very cool when you're going downhill and you want to avoid rocks and you don't ha- want to have to fo- fiddle with your feet on a bunch of pedals. Uh, so you can do that. It has an advanced all-wheel drive system, a, a little more sophisticated all-wheel drive system than the typical Maverick all-wheel drive, and it has the two-liter, the, the larger two-liter EcoBoost engine. It's not available, apparently, on the hybrid-powered vehicle. What's your take on this? You think it's going to be an exciting vehicle, or maybe not so much? I think it's going to be milder than a lot of people probably want it to be, but at the same time, the Maverick is a smaller, more maneuverable pickup truck, and you know how hardcore can you really get with that that platform? Uh, but for the size, I think it's more than enough. You know, they, they upgraded the all-wheel drive system so it can shift power or torque between the uh, rear wheels and added some skid plates underneath. So I would I would assume or I would guess that you could do some pretty decent, decently challenging stuff in this, at least more than you'd think. Yeah, you know, I like the size, too, for off-roading. I mean, certainly you're on narrow trails often when you're going off-road on, the, <laughs> you know, between trees and sweeping between boulders and all that. So I think the small size will be in a, a positive for it. And uh, as you say, it has this essentially almost torque vectoring rear axle allows you to apply. It applies itself. It doesn't, you can't choose, (laughs) but it'll throw torque to one of the wheels or the other. So that's good. I think all around, this should be an interesting vehicle. Uh, I think they'll probably sell a bunch of them. Uh, I'm not sure how high this will take the price because one of the Mavericks um, claims to fame is its extreme low price. This will probably take it up, I, I would imagine, $30,000 $30, or more. But uh, again, I think pretty useful stuff. Yeah, a lot of the content is there to justify the price. So uh, I can't wait to drive it. Yeah. And I love Tremor Orange. Kind of matches my eyes, I think. <laughs> the Tremor package is going to be about $3,000. Then if you want the Tremor Appearance package that includes Tremor Orange, uh, that's another 1500 bucks. Uh, you can start ordering those in September. So mark your calendar. We're at the beginning of August, so in September you can start ordering that, and uh, you know maybe you'll get your truck by Christmas. One hopes. Cross cross fingers. <laughs> BMW has a much more expensive EV that it has just introduced. It's adding to its i4 line with the eDrive 35. This I, I think essentially is. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the entry-level version of this uh, vehicle, um, entry-level being, in this case, uh, $51,000 <laughs> plus $1,000 in destination. But um, I think it's an interesting addition to this line. I haven't had a lot of opportunity to drive i4. I'm kind of curious as to what that would be like. I, I imagine that it's a pretty good vehicle, but I'm, I'm just not certain. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we talked about, I drove the... Uh the four series, the regular four series earlier this year. And uh, it was a great car, you know, practicality, plenty of room in the back, fun to drive. So if they can replicate that in the EV, uh, in an EV, then that's great. You know, the, 
Uh, it's a little bit cheaper, as you mentioned, rear-wheel drive. Uh, decent range, I think, what, over 200, uh, I forget the exact number there, over 200 miles of range. So uh, still very high price, but I think BMW didn't have much of a choice given the prices of their other EVs to attract buyers. Right. I mean, 260 miles of range is actually pretty good. It's uh, ranging up there toward 300, not exactly 300, of course. Uh, and then you don't want to drive a car completely out <laughs> out of electricity either, right? It's not like you can run out for a can of electricity at the corner or something like that. But pretty, pretty cool. Uh, 281 horsepower. So it should be fairly peppy. And uh, it, will, it appears to be fairly peppy because it'll go zero to 60 in just 5.8 seconds. That's according to BMW. So well, a lot to like about that. We hope to drive one soon. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the guilty parties. <laughs> Dieselgate. It was a big, a big deal, of course. I remember being interviewed on German TV about Dieselgate. It became a big, big thing, and even bigger in Germany than here, but a major, major thing here with hundreds of millions of dollars in fines and just uh, horrible stuff for uh, Volkswagen falsifying uh, their emissions testing and doing things with their emissions that basically uh, allowed vehicles to squeak by that testing while not really passing <laughs> uh, criminal stuff. One of the things that hasn't been reported so much is the fact that there are other automakers that were involved in very similar kinds of things, including Fiat Chrysler. They were just sentenced, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, which just uh, pleaded guilty uh, very recently to the same kind of thing. And they're going to be paying nearly $300 million <laughs> This will resolve a U.S. Justice Department uh, diesel emissions fraud probe. The company, uh, this according to a uh, Reuters story, the company has been charged with making false representations, lying, <laughs> about uh, diesel emissions in more than 100,000 U.S. vehicles, Jeep Grand Cherokees and the Ram 1500s that you and I probably drove and liked a lot, but uh, unbeknownst to us, they were lying about uh, diesel emissions. The U.S. government had previously required FCA, which is the parent company of these brands, now called Stellantis, to pay uh, $311 million in, in a civil penalty and more than $183 million in compensation to the people who were injured as part of a class action lawsuit on this. This is a big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. And, you know, Volkswagen, <laughs> Volkswagen paid a much steeper fine. It's something around $20 billion, right, when they when they went through this. But uh, programming the vehicles to run cleaner when they're on the emissions testing software and then not when they're not, you know, it's, it's very sneaky. And, you know, I guess if it were some sort of bug in the code or they made a mistake, that's one thing. But intentionally setting it up like this, it's got to got a smack for customers. It's got to feel feel bad for some of these customers. The Justice Department said the FCA US, so you know, Fiat Chrysler, installed deceptive software features intended to avoid regulatory scrutiny. And they fraudulently helped the diesel vehicles meet the emission standards. I mean, it was a big deal and cost people their jobs. And I think there was prison time, actually, for people in Germany for uh, what Volkswagen did. That's not going to happen to the Stellantis folks. There's another company also involved in something like this. And this is in the home country of Japan. And it's Hino, which is an affiliate of Toyota, essentially a truck maker in Japan. They did the same kind of thing. You know, we were thinking this was isolated to Volkswagen, right? I mean, that's, that's the way it seemed. But they were doing the same kind of thing. And again, dating back to 2003, 
I think before the diesel emissions uh, scandal, this, this related to diesel emissions more in the Japanese home country than the United States. But then they falsified data too uh, for four different engines. They were finally found out and they kind of blamed the culture in Japan, the culture of, well, if the boss says and the boss doesn't want to hear bad news, let's not give them bad news. You and I have all worked for bosses who don't want to hear bad news, but at the same time, if the bad news uh, or a failure to report the bad news makes you break the law, maybe that's a whole different thing, isn't it? Yeah, the the penalties for getting caught are probably much worse bad news than just going ahead and pulling the pulling the band-aid off and, and fixing your emissions issues to begin with. I mean, 300 million is one thing, but how much bad faith or how much lost business or, you know, customer perception are they going to get out of this? It, time will tell, but, you know, Volkswagen took a little bit of time uh, to come back. I mean, obviously people still talk about it when I, when I mentioned that I own a GTI. So people don't easily forget, even if they're willing to to forgive, I guess, and buy a car again. Right. There's no mention here in this report about fines for Hino or fines for Toyota over this, but uh, the shares of the company fell 10%. The stock price went way, way down uh, just on this news. So bad news for them, bad news for the consumer, bad news for the companies buying these vehicles, and you know, bad news for the environment. It's just kind of bad news all the way around. So Yes, it is. Uh, well, when we come back, we will have more uplifting news. And we'll be talking about two very cool F-150 pickup trucks, cool variants of that, the uh, F-150 Raptor, very, very cool for bashing through the main woods or maybe just driving down Main Street. And uh, I was driving the F-150 Lightning. It's the all-electric vehicle with the frunk. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Murad with you. And it is an all Ford F-150 road test segment. Uh, not that we planned this, but I guess we planned this. Or we didn't plan this, but it's, uh, I think will work out well. Two really interesting variants of the best-selling vehicle in the United States here. And Chris, you were driving the Raptor, uh, the off-road, just super cool uh, vehicle. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, we were talking about compact or smaller maneuverable pickup trucks earlier with the uh, Maverick trimmer. I have to tell you, this is not one of those pickup trucks. Uh, this is one of the larger pickup trucks that you can buy in terms of width and height. Uh, I think probably second only to the Ram TRX, although I'd have to look up those specs to uh, really give you a good idea there. But uh, this is not the Ford uh, F-150 Raptor R. So if anyone's been watching the news lately, you've seen the V8 uh, truck and some of the reviews and things that are coming out. This is the V6, which is uh, the standard version, if you want to call it that. Starts around $73,000. My test truck came in at just over $85,000 thousand uh, dollars with plenty of options as these things tend to have with them when jack so that's not really standard for a full-size pickup truck to be eighty five thousand dollars is it no you'd have to for the other f-150s you have to go pretty high in the trim range to to reach that price tag i think the truck starts what in the mid thirty thousand dollar range to begin with so uh quite a big price increase but uh the specs here are what's important i guess or is one of the reasons why people buy this truck it's got a twin turbocharged intercooled v6 engine so it's a uh, the EcoBoost engine, 450 horsepower jack through a 10-speed automatic transmission to all four wheels. And I want to ask you, I think you have driven the new Raptor, but I want to get your feeling on this engine and this powertrain uh, because it's it's quite a performer. It is a, quite a performer. And I think a lot of people uh, are a little worried about not having a V8 and they want that big V8 power and that's what they're used to, especially in a full-size pickup truck. But I think it performs really well. I think you get better fuel economy than you would otherwise get with a 
you know, a larger displacement engine without turbocharging. I, I, I think there's a lot to like about the powertrain. I think it's a good powertrain overall. Yeah, that is true. Uh, one of the things I want to bring up and that I've noticed this week and my daughter's got a big kick out of is uh, the truck has two three-inch exhaust pipes in the back. They're huge exhaust pipes, uh, and it has a multi-mode exhaust system, so you can switch between quiet, comfort, standard, and then there's this mode called Baja, and when you put it into Baja, this uh, screen pops up and says, warning for off-road use only, and just for, you know, poops and giggles, I took it out into the woods and cranked it into Baja, and I think that if there were any wildlife left within a mile of me, they were deaf. Uh, this truck just screams, Jack, with the, the exhaust wide open. It's got big 35-inch tires. 37-inch tires are optional. Uh, these are beadlock-style tires, so you can lock the tires down. Uh, Fox shocks, as I mentioned, the 10-speed automatic transmission. I know a lot of people, uh, at least the older off-roaders that I know, uh, they've got the old Toyotas. They love the manual transmission. I don't think that many people are going to miss this, You know, at least with the Raptor. It's not a rock crawler, so you're not going to... Most people aren't going to take it and go, you know, over big boulders. It's more for high-speed desert runs and things like that. So I think the 10-speed is a perfect match for the engine here. You know, I won't say it's quiet, but it is smooth and, and fairly refined. Uh, although with the exhaust in quiet mode, you could you could easily kind of blend into traffic, uh, although my test truck was bright orange. So uh, not going to be missing that anytime soon. Uh, inside, the truck has leather and Alcantara, which is like a suede material, uh, seat upholstery. So when you're going around a curve, your body slides until it hits the Alcantara and then it stops. So it helps you, it helps grip you in the seat. There's nice bolstering, heating and cooled seats in this truck. Uh, these are the... Uh, Multi-contour seats, Jack, I'm going to bring this up because I think it's uh, interesting. On the uh, Monroney level, label, which is the window sticker for this truck, uh, it states that a small discount was given back because part of the multi-contour seats function were removed. So it no longer has massage function, which was my favorite thing in the F-150 ever. Have you seen any other cars uh, recently that you've tested that have had a feature removed or a note about a feature being removed? I have not. I've heard about it, but I have not seen it on any test vehicle that I have driven. Uh, a lot of vehicles that I've test driven recently have what amounts to a Monroney, but they're not for retail sale. <laughs> you know, they're pre-production vehicles. Typically, they're on the production line before they, they build vehicles ready for sale, and they put those into the press fleet. So uh, those are the vehicles I've driven recently. Yeah, so while I missed massaging seats, I think this truck is far more luxurious than anybody ever expects such a rugged off-roader to be. As we've talked about with uh, full-size trucks, you know, since the dawn of time, there's a 12-inch infotainment screen, a fully digital configurable gauge cluster. Uh, you've got wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, Bluetooth, a B&O sound system. And Jack, the list just goes on. My truck had a full suite of advanced safety equipment, so blind spot monitoring, rear cross-traffic alerts, Ford collision warnings. And at the same time, you know, all this luxury around you. I took it out. I've been taking my daughter to farm camp out in, in the in the sticks, I'll just call it. Uh, and there's a fire road that goes through there uh, where you can hit some pretty good speeds in this truck. And at 50, you know, you can see the wheels are just going like this. And you're sitting inside. I'm sitting inside. I've got a ventilated seat. I've got Apple CarPlay. And I could be eating a sandwich while I'm doing this. It just doesn't feel as dramatic as it should. Uh, and I think that's the point of this truck is it, it sucks all the drama out of pretty hardcore off-roading situations and it's a if i had 80 grand and needed a pickup truck i'd probably pick this one up well i see some running around my neighborhood and there's nothing like off-roading anywhere near me and i think these people are just profiling with that vehicle and it, it's a cool vehicle to profile with right i mean uh plenty of horsepower it looks cool it says something about you and if you wanted to take it off-road you certainly could i think maybe these folks go skiing at, at times or heaven knows i this uh, the raptors i see around here are never even dirty not even close to being dirty and i'm a long way from farms let me tell you where i live so uh, <laughs> 
interesting stuff. But it sounds like you like the Raptor a lot, and uh, you could go that direction if you had the 85 big ones to, to shell out there. I just don't want to have to park it in the grocery store ever again. I think that was the biggest challenge here, but otherwise it's a great truck. Well, I had uh, a vehicle of similar size, the F-150 Lightning, of course, the electric vehicle uh, version of the vehicle you were driving, uh, largely. Talk about a cool vehicle. Talk about something really special. I mean, this looks like an F-150, but it, it, and in some ways it behaves like an F-150. It has most of the capabilities of an F-150, but then there's things about it that's just kind of otherworldly uh, about it, including its zero to 60 time, four seconds or so, maybe four and a half seconds, zero to 60. I mean, getting something that weighs that much going from zero to 60 in that kind of time is just incredible. And I remember being on the freeway here. I was, I think, coming back from a baseball game I had played in with my middle daughter in the uh, passenger seat. And we were just changing lanes and I kind of gassed it. I guess you don't call it gas it if you're in electric though. But I, I hit the accelerator a little harder maybe than I wanted to. And we both went, whoa, <laughs> you know, it just kind of you know, holy smokes, that was more acceleration than we thought. And it was just there. I didn't have to use it, uh, but it was there for me. So that's just one of the things about it. I mean, there's so many um, so many capabilities of this vehicle. It is smooth and quiet, as you would expect with electric. It's just incredibly quiet. And all this power that threw us back in our seats and, and you know, scared us came very, very quietly like I say, exceptionally quick. When you use Blue Cruise and go on the highway hands-free, you kind of take that leap of faith, but uh, you know it, it, it quits itself quite well doing that. Uh, the et entertainment interface is really excellent. I did things like, I didn't do it on the most recent thing, but uh, when I was driving the vehicle in the launch, drove it with a 5,000 pound horse trailer behind it, so it has those kind of capabilities. Just a, a lot of, about this, and then, uh, taking it off-road. I mean, certainly the Raptor is more dedicated to off-road, but you would be surprised at how good the Lightning is off-road. And with the amount of torque it has and the amount of torque it can put to each wheel essentially instantaneously, it has a locking rear differential, uh, it has off-road modes, uh, it just does some amazing stuff. And you can forward a uh, two-foot stream in the thing among other things so this is just one heck of a vehicle uh and that's before you get to the fact that it's zero emissions and uh does all the other things that it, it can do but um you know reasonable range and over 300 miles in range this is the first electric vehicle i've driven i think where i wasn't concerned every moment <laughs> about how much electricity i was using and when i would have to charge this and how i would go about charging this i mean i used this day to day for a week doing all the errands uh, i needed to do and I, I just felt comfortable with it and i know uh you know the infrastructure in maine is a challenge to you it's somewhat of a different challenge here because you know the infrastructure is crowded with people using fast chargers but you know what's your take on being able to use an electric like the uh, lightning day-to-day -day in your situation? Well, the first thing I think Ford made the right move, making it look like it, making it into an F-150, right? So it looks like a truck, it smells like a truck, it's shaped like a truck. Uh, and as you mentioned, the off-road capability, but for something like that, I'm actually looking at installing a level two charger here in my barn, just so that I can charge the loan cars that come up. Uh, and I met a woman at the grocery store last week who was stuck at, a, a, I won't mention which brand name charger, uh, and couldn't get her XC40 recharge, uh, to recharge so that she could get home from to Boston from Maine. So uh, I think there are a lot of challenges we have left to overcome here, uh, not the least of which is just the, the number of chargers that we have, but the ones we do have need to work first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
One thing I should mention too, it's so uh, easy to, just to talk about the capabilities of this vehicle. I, I wasn't talking much about the interior, but I think you inter uh, experienced a very similar kind of interior. But the uh, Lariat and Platinum versions of the Lightning have Sync 4A, which is a you know really great infotainment interface. And they have this massive 15.5 uh, inch touchscreen. It just kind of dominates the dash. And you know, when you think about it, you probably remember paper maps, right? <laughs> I certainly do. Paper maps weren't this big, right? <laughs> you know, they weren't four by four. They were they were big, so you could see stuff and you could see where you were in relation to other things. And I think it really helps with navigation to have a, a touchscreen of that scale and that size. Uh, it just seems to work out better. Yeah, and Ford's software works well on the large screen. They've made it so that you can do more than one thing at once. The information is displayed clearly and it's intuitive. And it's pretty colorful, which a lot of them are not, uh, although that's less important than intuitiveness. So uh, I give it an A. You're right. It also has the frunk up front, so you can uh, use that and, and store some stuff in the frunk where an engine otherwise would be. You had a turbocharged engine, I think, in, in your version of the F-150. So just a lot to like about the Lightning on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, we've talked about it before, but uh, living with it uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I just got more respect for it. And I think it's a very cool vehicle. And I think those people who step up to it are going to find it uh, very useful for them uh, for for many years to come. I'm expecting one for testing in a couple of weeks and I can't wait. Yeah, you'll have fun with it. Well, when we come back, we will be speaking with Kaylee Hill. She's manager of the EV ecosystem at Competitive General Motors. This isn't an all Ford show this week. It's General Motors. We'll get some equal time here. She'll tell us about the fascinating new service General Motors is offering called EV Live. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. This is Jackie Red with you. And we have a terrific guest talking about a really important subject. Kaylee Hill is EV Ecosystem Manager at General Motors. That's a cool title, number one. But General Motors has launched this new initiative called EV Live. It's really exciting stuff because driving an EV isn't just like driving your average car, right? So uh, some education is uh, required. Number one, Kaylee, thanks for being with us. And tell us a little bit about EV Live. Yes, of course, I'd be happy to. So what we did was we launched EV Live, which is a di digital innovative platform for anyone, regardless of where they are on their journey, they can call in and have a conversation with a real person about EVs, charging, batteries, anything that you can think of, really. So we're trying to encourage people to come to our website, evlive.gm.com, and connect with a real person and get their questions answered. I think that's beautiful. I mean, the connection with a real person is great. I mean, it, uh, an internet site that is showing a lot of information is certainly useful, but the uh, ability to interact with somebody, ask the questions you want to ask for your particular situation, I think is critical here because everybody's situation is a little bit different and how they adapt to the EV experience depends on what their situation is, doesn't it? That's exactly it. And so I think that's why what we're trying to do is um, you know, we did a lot of research and we we sort of talked to our experts about what are the things people are most curious about? What are maybe some misconceptions people have and how can we best answer them? 
And the answer was to build a studio <laughs> with a number of EV properties from some of the newest electric vehicles that General Motors has out there to our chargers, to our battery, so that really um, you could come at this pretty much from every angle and get your questions answered uh, in real time. What are some of the big questions that people are asking? Certainly range is a question, but what what's on people's minds? I'm curious about that. Well, I think that there's been a lot in the news lately about EVs. And so we have quite a few people who are just kind of curious if an EV could even fit their lifestyle, because frankly, there there still are people who feel, uh, you know, unsure. So I would say there is uh, a lot of people who just really want to know what the heck this whole thing is all about. And then, of course, we we get into conversations around cost of ownership or how does maintenance for an electric vehicle work differently than a gas-powered vehicle? Um, even things like. Uh, you know, how do I set up my garage to allow for home charging? What charger do I need? And how do I charge when I'm on the go? So uh, we, we've really designed the studio with that in mind so that our specialists can visually bring to life uh, answers to those questions by kind of having physical properties that they can speak to. And keep in mind, you can see everything they're looking at on their camera. And so you can sort of ask them questions as they're going. Um, so it's led to some really phenomenal conversation. Yeah, I'm really curious how that works. I mean, obviously those specialists have to be well-trained and, and very flexible, right? Because everybody has a different uh, set of questions and their, their lives are different than other people's. You know, how do you go about setting that up? It's, it strikes me as a very complicated thing to do. Well, you know, we, as I said, we have done a lot of research on uh, what, what are the kinds of things that people are asking, what's out there. And so we've oriented our staffing and our training all around that you know we have some of the foremost ev experts in the world at gm so they helped us design the training uh, to make sure real information is being given to people as they're calling in and i think one of the things that's really important is it is free because we do want people to get right the right information and and we want to make sure it's accessible to everybody so so that was really important for us yeah, I mean, it's really important, I think, that uh, as people switch technologies, right, everybody knows how, to, how a gasoline car works and, you know, how it fits into their lifestyle and how they refuel it and all of those things that uh, go into it, how they do maintenance on it. With an EV, it's it seems very similar, but when you get right down to it, it is pretty different, isn't it? I mean, even the way you do, do it day to day. Talk a bit about that, would you? Yeah, and I, well, I think what's interesting is, and the question that, I, that we sort of orient ourselves around is, how does an EV fit into my lifestyle? Everyone is different. You could uh, commute for work or you could not commute for work. You could be someone who likes to go on road trips. Um, it, you might have, um, you know, uh, just yourself or a family. So that's why we're trying to kind of tailor the conversations to, well, what do you do every day? And, and how could we figure out what even the right charger might be? Some people might have different charging needs. So I think it's really important that we help people understand that, you know, pretty much whatever your life is, feel that there is a solution out there for you. And we think that it will be something that you'll come to love very, very much, uh, because we all know that there are a lot of EV passionate, passionate people out there. And we've hired a lot of them, actually, we've got them working for us. So it's it's important that people understand that it's, it's honestly the, the 
there's less barriers than you think. And that's why we're encouraging people, just give us a call, throw some questions at us, and let's see if we can answer them for you. One question has to revolve around where the person lives, right? And when you're buying a gasoline car, that really doesn't matter much at all. A conventional car, you can live in an apartment, you can live in a rural area, you can live in a city, you can live in a single family home or duplex. But with a, an EV, it does matter, doesn't it? And, and tell us about that. That's something that I think a lot of people need to pay attention to. Absolutely. So I think one of the really important things to be aware of is that, you know, and, and this is something that um, I, you know, for sure would encourage uh, people to go have a look at. But GM has done a lot of work with getting chargers uh, out into communities all across the U.S. So we're trying to make chargers accessible for everyone. Uh, and what our our specialists here in the studio will talk about is, you know, some of that information. So, you know, we definitely want to understand where you're at and what your situation is. But, you know, some of the cool things that GM has done is within our own apps, uh, we have plug in charge, which is the ability to kind of monitor um, your your own state of charge to see where there, there are chargers. And, you know, we're really committed to making charging accessible for everyone. So for sure, if you're in a situation where you think, you know, I don't know how this is going to work for me, call in and, and let us sort of talk you through maybe how that could be possible. What would you say to somebody who lived in an apartment? I think a lot of young singles would love to have an EV. I mean, uh, the Chevy Bolt EV would be a terrific vehicle for them. I think it's a marvelous, marvelous car. Uh, not very expensive these days. And certainly you have other EVs as well and others are coming. But what would you say to that person who lives in an apartment setting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I lived in a lot of condos in my life myself, so I completely can empathize with that. And uh, the great thing is, you know, the like you said, the Bolt starting at 26,000 bucks, not too bad, pretty affordable for a vehicle. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of information we're gonna have coming out um, on, you know, multifamily dwellings. Um, there's, I would say, a lot more information to come. And the good thing about EV Live, because we're dealing with, you know, real live people, we're constantly updating them on the latest and greatest information that we have and our projects that we're working on. So that's why I'm saying to people, I, I don't think you're just going to visit once. I have a feeling you're going to be returning to us time and time again to learn more uh, as, as things evolve and certainly uh, as GM, you know, continues to roll out new electric vehicles. So um, that's what I would say. Yeah, I want to continue more with you, but uh, tell us how people can reach EV Live because I want to hit that a couple times in the interview. You bet. Thank you. So you're going to go to evlive.gm.com and you simply need to either click join a live tour to get connected to a real person right then and there. Or if you want to schedule it for a time that's convenient for you, you can also do that. So it's that's as simple as it is. It's it's not uh, hopefully too complicated. And and we wanted to make it simple and accessible for everyone. Yeah, it's free and it's one on one. I love that. Uh, you know, that's yeah. terrific stuff. Who do you think is, uh, say, the sweet spot for getting an EV right now? What is their lifestyle like? You know, I, I truly think that if you can educate yourself properly and, and using a resource like ours, I, I feel like, honestly, uh, anyone can be open to it and explore it. I really do believe that. And, you know, one of the interesting things about EV Live is while we expect obviously the public to use it, we also are are working um, with dealers and, and we're having dealers use it as well as an education tool um, because we wanna make sure we have the most educated workforce on EVs out there. So this is something that a, a dealer can potentially use to, you know, go and have training whenever they, they need to. Uh, or if they're with a customer in the showroom, 
they can they can start an EV live session right then and there to sort of have that extra support. Um, so we definitely feel like it's it's really for everyone. Yeah, well, it makes a, t- a ton of sense. I mean, the current EV buyer is probably really into it, right? I mean, they're early adopters. They do a lot of research. But to make this a broad technology, and certainly that's what General Motors wants to do, you have to reach beyond the early adopter, right? And I think that's really what the, partly what this is all about. It really is. Um, and I, I think the one thing I'll say is I hope people know there are no bad questions when it comes to this conversation, because there are some people who really just don't know where to start. Um, And so the great thing is the EV specialists, they'll kind of help you. If you're saying, I literally know nothing, they can kind of help start the conversation to say, here are some things that might might sort of spur on uh, a bit more education. So that that's we're really looking forward to those calls because we want to make sure that we're helping people who really feel they don't have uh, a ton of info. Do you ever tell people, well, you're just not well suited for an EV? You know, you're, you'd be better off to buy a different General Motors vehicle than an an electric vehicle? Well, I think the one great thing is, you know, we have EV Live, but um, we also have uh, the Chevy MyWay Studio and Cadillac Live as well. So be curious. I think that's super important. And, uh, you know, we obviously believe that the the right vehicle, GM has it in its lineup, whoever you are. Um, but I, I definitely would encourage people to to really understand EVs and research, research them because I do think there's a lot to offer and I do think we're, we're, we have so much product in our pipeline that I feel very confident that the right one is out there for them. Give our listeners and viewers some sense of the GM EVs that are uh, either in the market now or coming because you've got some pretty cool stuff uh, coming down the road very quickly. The one thing I'll mention is um, in our showroom, we're going to sort of have a rotation of of EVs um, that are brand new. So we have uh, right now we have the, the Cadillac Lyric, we have the Hummer. Um, and we have the Bolt, of course. But the the other thing um, that we have, which is kind of neat, is you know we have we have an e-powered vehicle that we'd love to show people. So people who are kind of into that part of maybe gearheads who are enjoying uh, e-powering some you know traditionally gas vehicles, we have that as well. Um, you know, and I and so I think it's really important that people kind of understand there's a lot of different use cases. There's you know Blazer EVs coming out, Silverado EV. Equinox EV, Sierra EV. Um, that's just some of the content that's going to be um, some of the the product that's going to be coming in pretty soon here. And uh, I hope people look forward to to visiting it, uh, visiting us in the showroom and seeing what they're all about. And give us that information again. A lot of great EVs coming from General Motors, but give us the EV Live information again. Yep. So we have evlive.gm.com. Again, as long as you have an internet connection on whatever device you're on, you can come and visit us. That sounds terrific. Well, I will do that. I'm interested to see what that's like. So I will do that very, very soon. But Kaylee Hill, EV Ecosystem Manager at General Motors, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate you joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. I can't wait for people to come check it out. Yeah, very good. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. This is Red with you. And it's our final segment in this episode of America on the Road. I'm always sad when this happens. I love talking to you, Chris, about cars. Thanks so much for co-hosting so capably. Um, I think you have a listener question for us, don't you? I do, Jack. This one comes from Joe in Worthington, Ohio. And Joe says he's been doing research on EVs and he's come across the term e-boost. And he thinks BMWs have it, but he wants to know what it is and if any other cars have it at the same time. 
Well, I think other cars have it in a similar way that BMW uses it. I think BMW uses the term e-boost with, you know, small e and then capital B-O-O-S-T. Um, it's a method of improving vehicle performance by adding a burst of power, and in this case, it's electric power, which uh, kind of makes sense. It's typically in a mi mild hybrid vehicle. They have a lot of mild hybrids out there. And what they do essentially is use the electric starter motor um, in the mild hybrid to add some power, could be as much as 10, 11 horsepower, which doesn't sound like a ton, but when it's coming in like that with a lot of torque, um, it helps. And it helps in things like launch, um, when you're passing, in, sometimes in gear changes. And I know that Toyota does a similar thing um, in their hybrids to use that electric power to kind of smooth over gear changes. When you're going from gear to gear, there's a, you know, potentially a power lag, and then it fills in with electric, uh, electric power. So it smooths things out. It gives you more power. It is not the kind of boost you would get from, say, nitrous being applied to the vehicle. Uh, but I think it, it does give a nice kick. I, have you experienced this, Chris, in any of the vehicles you've driven? I have, and though I haven't driven one, they're similar to the way a Formula One car uses its hybrid system, you know, for power generation as opposed to just saving uh, or conserving fuel. So uh, definitely a worthwhile thing to check out if you're into performance cars. The 48-volt mild hybrid system is pretty neat on its own, so uh, worth a look if you're in the market. Yeah, and you point out something important, too. The 48-volt uh, usage makes this so much better. I mean, we saw a little bit of this with 12-volt systems and, you know, the starter motor, uh, mild hybrids and things like General Motors cars, but there wasn't a whole lot they could do with it, just a 12-volt motor. Uh, so using 48-volt, and it also makes the start-stop system much smoother. And I think that alone is a big advantage because you and I, uh, you know, talked about this uh, early on. We really disliked those uh, when they first came into the marketplace. But uh, these days, I think they're they're pretty good, aren't they? Yeah, they're not bad, especially with the 48 volt there. As you say, to smooth things out, it, it makes the the divot a little bit shallower if you want to view it that way. Right. So all things good with the BMW eBoost. We hope we answered Joe's question. And uh, I guess we're to the end of the show, Chris. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you like what you heard and you want to bring us with you wherever you go, you can check out the sportsmapradio.com webpage. There you can find us on the Saturday schedule. Uh, you can find our podcast on multiple platforms as well as a radio formatted version of the show. Right. Our thanks to the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. We do appreciate that. Most of all, we appreciate you being with us, listening to America on the road. You're the reason we do what we do, so thanks so much for being out there. We enjoy speaking with you, and we hope to do it again next week right here for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance.